Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This edition of the Patriots Report is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL and Bulls season to esports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. With the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events, head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BLEAV, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. Bet Online where the game starts. Today on the Patriots Report, we have Heisman Trophy winner Ricky Williams talking about his latest business venture, the fact he's going to be spending some time in Massachusetts this coming weekend, as well as providing a little bit of insight into the Patriots and their path forward. We also have Taylor Kyle's next-gen stats researcher and writer for Pat's Pulpit. You're going to love this show. A lot of great information. Ricky, thank you so much for taking the time to join me today. I want to start off by this. Tell people what you're doing back in Massachusetts this weekend and how things are going with your company, Heisman. Yeah, first, it's, it's great to, to the idea that I'm coming back. You know, I've been spending a lot of time in, in Mass the past couple of months, and it's been great. You know, my um, just kind of a side story is my, my oldest daughter grew up in Mass, and she's about to have a baby, so... I get, I'm excited to come back and see her, but but I'm coming back for like the fourth time in the past couple of months to promote my my uh, my cannabis lifestyle brand Heisman, and I say promote, but it's 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 a different kind of thing. You know, as a football player, I would go around and I would go to events and promote certain things, and the the main point of that was I had to hide my cannabis use, mm-hmm. and now as I come back, it's I'm putting it up front and helping other people, you know, own and claim their their love for cannabis. And it's it's this thing I felt like as a as a football player dealing with the fans, there was always this separation. And what I'm loving about what I'm doing now is it's like, you know, I go hang out and it's like we're friends, you know, hanging out, talking, talking about real stuff, you know. And also, yeah, I sign autographs too. But um, but I'm I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And my, my favorite line is, you know, in the past, every time I came to New England and I had to do something, I was always booed. You know, and, and this time, like we're all on the same team, so it's it's great. What are those conversations like? How many, if you can put a percentage on it, how many of those conversations are about cannabis, and maybe how many of those conversations are about the NFL? Yeah, so most of them, most of them start off about the about the NFL, you know, because most people aren't comfortable, especially in a in a market like Massachusetts where it hasn't been legal for a long time. Mm-hmm. So even the idea of getting comfortable talking about cannabis in public is new. And that's what I love to do. So they might start at football, but I always bring the question back to when did you first start smoking? You know, <laughs> um, and it, oh, I, I love it. So we talk about football. I always talk about the Pats. I always talk about the, you know, the games that I played. I have some, sometimes I even talk about baseball. I played minor league baseball and I had a chance to play against the little spinners a couple of times. So, you know, I, I just try to make connections to, to my life and the people that I meet their life because you know, that's why I'm doing it. I'm fascinated by the NFL and cannabis and how really philosophies have evolved over the last decade or so. And and I remember the last time we spoke, you said that, look, you know, the league is changing players attitudes, the league's attitudes towards cannabis are changing. How much of that have you seen really since the last time we spoke, maybe six months or so ago? Yeah, you know, it's during the season. And so it's most of the focus has been on the game. But I I expect in this offseason, we're going to see more and more talk. And, you know, I always said, 
the NFL is a, a big corporation and they have to take into consideration the public and, and their fans. And I think now that public opinion is starting to shift. Players are starting and starting to affect the players. The players are talking to the NFL about it differently. And so I expect in this offseason, we're going to see some some more changes. I, I think it's fascinating. You, you said, I think it was in the New York Post in a recent interview that these days, at least 80% of NFL players consume cannabis, either smoke or, you know, in, in other other form or fashion. Do you ever wonder if you're playing these days with, with marijuana use far more accepted, the attitudes far different than they were maybe a decade or so ago, that you would have had a longer and more successful NFL career than the one you had? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. We can use the, the cannabis regulations as a marker, but I, I think they represent larger shifts. You know, when I was going through everything with the NFL in 2002, because I consumed cannabis, they put me in a box. And I think we have so many people consuming cannabis, it's so hard to put cannabis consumers in a box anymore. You know, what's more common is people being surprised. Oh, you you like gummies, right? You like gummies, you know? And and I, I say 80%, but if we, it sounds like a big number, but when I was playing, you know, sitting on an airplane, flying back home, the trainer is walking through the aisle and he has his little pill box and he's handing out Vicodin and Ambien, Vicodin and Ambien. And and I think as players start to do their own research and realize taking these things long term is not really is not good for my body, not good for my liver or my kidneys, that they're seeking they're seeking alternatives for their well-being. It's so it's a completely different conversation. It's not about escaping or getting high or, or breaking the rules or anything. It's really genuine conversations about wellness. And I think that that's really what's pushing the, the change. I ran into an old coach of mine, Mac Brown, um, about a year ago. And, you know, he came up to me with a big smile, and he's like, ah, "I got to tell you, you were right." You know, like he said, "My my my brother has cancer, and and Rick Simpson oil is really helping him eat and stay healthy." And so I think as as it moves from from moves back because it it originated as as a pharmaceutical as medicine, mm -hmm. then it turned into a narcotic. As it moves back into into medicine, into to conversations about wellness. We're going to continue to see attitudes change about cannabis. I'm curious, have you ever thought about the Hall of Fame? And I ask that with the understanding that you rushed for 10,000 yards over the course of your career in the National Football League. And the, the benchmark really, looking at the numbers, is 12,000 yards. If you rush for 12,000 yards, chances are really good you're going to get into the Hall of Fame. You had those two-plus years where you weren't in the league. You don't strike me as the kind of guy who has a lot of regrets but maybe mm -hmm. is there any kind of second thought that, that you had, you know, looking back at the numbers and looking back at your career and, and maybe as it relates to the Hall of Fame? You know, I'll go back to something else that Coach Brown used to say all the time. He said, if what you do on the football field is the, is the number one thing you do in life, you failed. Right. And so I, I realized pretty young and pretty early in my career that I'm going to have at least half of my life to go after I'm done playing football. And so. For the things that I want to achieve, football is just going to be a, a platform and training to help me be successful in life. And so when I think about the Hall of Fame, because, uh, you know, a lot of the Hall of Fame is about what you do on the field. But I think part of it is also what you do off the field. And so I think if if I continue on the path that I'm on and I really make the kind of difference in the world that I plan to, that maybe later I get into the Hall of Fame just because the NFL wants to be associated with me because of what I've accomplished in my life. You look at your numbers, though, 10,000 yards, man. There, there's some guys who are in the Hall of Fame who don't have those kind of numbers, who don't have those kind of stats. And I understand the game changes over the years. And look, you know, passing yards today aren't what passing yards were 10, 20, 30 years ago. But at the same time, you're 31st all time in rushing in the National Football League. And I yeah. think that might surprise a lot of people. 
Well, I think it's cool considering everything that I went through, you know, mm -hmm. because it wasn't it wasn't only the suspensions, but the last half of my career, I split time. You know, it's a shared time with Ronnie Brown. So I think considering, you know, that I played 11 years and was in and out and all an average pretty much a thousand yards a season. You know, it's cool. I, there's a case and it's a conversation, which is good enough for me. This season, 16 guys topped a thousand rushing yards. I'm glad you mentioned that milestone. 16 guys, guys like Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey. Those guys are all key elements of teams who are in the divisional round. After years of the NFL being really a primarily rush, or I'm sorry, primarily passing league, are we seeing a bit of a running back renaissance here? Well, I, I think, you know, we get lost in the numbers, but I think if we look closely, we would see most of the teams that make it to the playoffs have a solid running game. And they just watch, people watch, you know, then over the next couple of weeks watching playoff games, watch how important the running game is, you know, because you have, you don't know what you're going to need in a playoff situation, but one of the things you always need if you want to win is the ability to control the, to control the game. And if you can't control the game with the with running the ball or you can't intimidate people, especially late in the season when people are worn down and tired, you know, you're at a disadvantage. So I expect to see some some impressive rushing performances during this this playoff season. You you said you spent some time in Massachusetts and obviously, you know, up here, everyone talks about the Patriots 24-7, Bill Belichick, Mac Jones, whatever the case may be. I'd be curious to get your take on how this season played out for them, maybe even you know, a thought or two about the running back position. That's the one area, at least on the offensive side of the ball, they appear to have pretty well locked down. Yeah, you know, a, a big time in making a transition, and I still consider the Patriots in the, you know, the post-Brady era, is you have to, like, you have to reestablish an identity, you know, and that's, that in, obviously, as we're seeing, it includes the, the coaching staff, too. But I'll say I have the utmost respect for Bill Belichick. I mean, every every year that I played and we had to go up and play against him, you know, uh, it was it was a rough week in preparation, and I, but it was all one of those things that you knew it was going to be a great game. You knew you were going to be challenged. You knew you were to get better. So you know, I think, but you know, as you get older, you get fixed in your ways. It's kind of rough, but I, you know, he's a smart guy. I think he's going to adjust and and learn. And just his program and his system and the way he gets players and his teams prepared. I don't think Patriot fans have anything to worry about. It's probably you know probably not going to be a dynasty, you know, until you get a high profile quarterback. Mm -hmm. um, but I think. As soon as they saw that piece, I, you know, I feel good about the Patriots. You talk about the post-Brady era. I have a philosophy that Bill is trying to approach the post-Brady era the same way that Mike Shanahan did in the post-Elway era, where it was all about running the ball, where it was all about trying to get those big guys up front to move. The, you know, you're, you know you're not going to be able to replace a Hall of Fame franchise quarterback, so you do have to kind of adjust a little bit. And I think that's one of the reasons why we've seen this New England running game really kind of emerges a force over the last couple of seasons. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, cause you, you have to do that until you can, until you can do a good job um, in, in the passing game, you know, and I, I covered the Texas Longhorns for a while. And so I got, I got a chance to watch a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, Oklahoma running backs play. And so, you know, I, I think the Patriots definitely have a, a really good young back uh, who's, who's going to, you know, be there for a while racking up yards. He strikes me as an interesting guy in that the Patriots traditionally for years have had those James Whites, Kevin Falk, Shane Vereen, those third down guys. But Stevenson, you look at his numbers this year, he's not only doing well running between the tackles, but he's also, you know, he really has the ability to stay out there on the field on third down as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's the whole thing. You mentioned how the game changes right now. Like when I played, you know, we had the big backs and then we had the third down backs. But now we're starting to see, you know, the, the backs that are big and can do a lot of things, catch the ball. Um, Texas running back, um, Bijan, 
You know, he's a big guy, strong guy. He's like a receiver, but he's a big guy. So I think that's really the next wave of what we're going to see out of the running back position. You spent a year, I think it was, in Baltimore at the end of your career. You played for, for um, I want to get his name right, you know, John Harbaugh. Um, what's your take on how things are playing out there now between Harbaugh and, and um, Lamar Jackson and, and the way that's all going to kind of shake out? Yeah, you know, to me, it reminds me of um, RG3. You know, his first couple of years in 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 Washington. And it's a it's a big issue. You know, the defenses are big and strong, especially those D linemen. And so when you have a, a quarterback who can run the ball and you and you expect him to do it a lot, you know, too much, it's rough. You know, yeah. and I think that's also kind of where they hit a wall in the contract negotiations. So I think it's something that the Ravens have to figure out, but it's something I think all NFL teams that are moving towards the the quarterback that's that's more mobile and can really hurt you with their feet, how to how to solve that, how to solve that riddle. All right, give me your picks for divisional playoff weekend. Bills, Bengals. Let's start with the AFC. Bills, Bengals, and Chiefs and Jaguars. Who's gonna win there? Um so I, I mean, Chiefs. I think, yeah. I don't think the, mm-hmm. I don't think Jacksonville has enough to to deal with the Chiefs. Yeah. That's that's the easy one. Um, and I, I love I love Joe Burrow. You know, um, so I'm going with the Bengals. Uh, I think they're going to get Buffalo again this year. Okay, NFC: Giants, Eagles, Cowboys, Niners. Yeah, Eagles. You know, Eagles look good. Jalen Hurts just looks really. They're just clicking. They have that. They have the magic. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, Giants, I think impressed impressed me last week, but I don't think they have enough to to beat to beat uh, to beat the Eagles at home. And uh, Cowboys, 49ers, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. 49ers got that D, but but I feel good about Dallas. You know, I think they've been they've been upsetting their fans way too long. This might this might be the year that they <laughs> this might be the year they break the curse. <laughs> my my broadcast partner LG says that this Eagles team reminds him of the one that won the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. When you talk about that magic, when you talk about that chemistry going into the postseason, they have that same kind of feel to them. I had that same thought as I was saying. Yeah. Any any thoughts as to who's going to win it all? Or you want to kind of hold off on that for now? Um, I like the Bengals. And that would be, and that would erase one of my weird favorite weird stats of all time. I, I There's only a couple of teams who have lost the Super Bowl one year and then gotten back to the Super Bowl and then won it the following year. So they would I'm erase sure the Patriots. The, I'm sure the Patriots are one of those teams. The Patriots are one of those teams. And I think <laughs> Maybe the Dolphins. Two of them. Yeah, I think the 70 the, the the Dolphins of the early 70s were in the mix there as well. So Ricky, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. Again, let people know if they can't make it out this weekend for for one of the meet and greets that you have scheduled in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where can they pick up your stuff? Yeah, so they can go to Heisman, that's H-I-G-H-S-M-A-N, Heisman.com, and look at the store locator and see what's, you know, what dispensary is is closest to you. All right, perfect. Thank you so much for your time, Ricky. Take care, and we'll talk again soon. Yeah, thanks for having me. Taylor, it's an honor for me to have you here today. I wanted to pick your brain here an awful lot about the 2022 Patriots, the positives, the negatives, and some of the things we should look for from this team moving forward. First of all, let's start with this. What is the epitaph for the 2022 team? How are we going to remember the 2022 Patriots when we look back on this roster two, three, four years? What are some of the things that are going to come to mind? I think defensively, you have to say it was kind of a squandered opportunity when you've got a defense that's scoring points 
on a damn near weekly basis or biweekly basis and kind of making up for your offense in a lot of ways. So defensively, I think it was a year where you had a really talented unit that was scoring points on their own. They were getting a ton of pressure, had young guys stepping up on a regular basis. And, uh, you know, I think they put up a pretty valiant effort against Josh Allen. You know, they held him for a long time in that last game. But when you see Josh Allen struggle for a handful of quarters, you know there's going to be that one where he just loses his mind. Um, and then offensively, I think, and this stinks for a guy like me, and, you know, I, I try to be optimistic. And going into the season, I, you know, saw the whole Matt Patricia taking over the offense is, okay, well, this is a Super Bowl-winning coach on the defensive side of the ball. Maybe he can reverse engineer that and, you know, bring some different perspective to offense. Now, clearly that didn't pan out the way that I think a lot of people who did have some hope uh, thought it might um, clearly not a simple a process It's just, well, flip the page and, you know, it's, it's the same thing, but backwards and, you know, those kinds of things. So offensively you had some, what seemed like questionable decision-making staff wise, and it, carried over to how the team performed on a weekly basis. You know, offensive line, one of the worst years, I think, in a long time, it's fair to say, even though, you know, you had Cole Strange, but at the same time, Trent Brown was playing at the worst uh, kind of week-to-week rate of his career in terms of pre-step penalties, uh, the mental mistakes every single week from a guy who's been in the league a long time. Isaiah Wynn having the worst year of his career. Uh, David Andrews is up there. He was pretty solid. Mike Nwenu, I think, was kind of an all-pro snub. He had a fantastic season as well. But uh, yeah, and then the play calling was an issue. So a lot of the positions that you saw filled were they we're obviously gashed last year and I don't know there's a, if there's a good way to prepare for a mass exodus like they saw, but at the same time, the pieces that they tried to fill in just didn't work out. And, you know, it was hard to be surprised by the result. If we're talking uh, you know, about this team moving forward and what they're going to look like in 2023, for me, a lot of it, almost all of it starts on the offensive side of the football and specifically along the offensive line at tackle. You bring in two tackles, you bring in two stud tackles, whether in free agency or in the draft, I think you take a giant step forward because I've always believed a great offensive line can make a bad quarterback look good and a good quarterback look great. And that is going to be the absolute most important thing when you're talking about Mac Jones's overall development. You give him more time back there. You allow him you know, more time to see the field, find guys. That's where, for me, at least it's going to start when you're talking about building for 2023. What do you see out there? I agree. And I think... You know, it's so easy to kind of get down on Mac Jones because he's a pocket passer. There are plenty of pocket passers doing him pretty well in the league. You know, obviously they've got their own different reasons. But a lot of the time when you have somebody who needs that protection and isn't going to make the plays on their own, that's fine. Invest in the offensive line so that that's not as much of a problem. And then you have a guy like Mac who's cerebral, who's accurate, who can get things done in a very efficient fashion and even make some big plays when he's got time to survey the field and feel comfortable. We haven't seen a level of consistency for him in the offense in the past two years. Offensive line was better last year, but then obviously the offensive pieces weren't really gelling great. And you had a lot of people coming into the system brand new. Obviously, there were going to be speed bumps. But this year, you did see at times he'd hit the top of his drop and there's immediate pressure in his face. Mm -hmm. So I do think that's a big element of it. But at the same time, I think it would really help. And this isn't a priority, I think, for them this season. So we'll see where they go. But getting a, a true number one receiver that can take the pressure off. It's hard to deny when you see all these quarterbacks who are making the playoffs and thriving, they all have at least one number one receiver. Some of them have two, like A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. You know, it's you have to also give – the quarterback, someone where when you have that tough matchup, they can at least be competitive. Whereas Devontae Parker, I think, kind of scratches the surface of that. 
mm-hmm. where he's such a great 50-50 ball guy that you're comfortable giving him those shot opportunities. But what you also see from someone with someone like the Parker, Devontae Parker's skill set is that when you're going up and you know making all these acrobatic catches, you're usually falling pretty hard. And that's why you see him get injured all the time and he can't really stay healthy. So someone who isn't just, you know, that guy who's going to win in tight spaces, maybe someone who can separate and make plays or someone who can fill that profile of being a reliable target where Jacoby Myers doesn't really do that against top competition. Kendrick Bourne may be able to give you some of that. We have yet to see what he can do as, uh, you know, anywhere close to a featured player. Um, So offensive line, top priority, but I'd also like to see them be able to get a receiver who can really dictate where defenses try to play them, which makes it easier for the offensive coordinator because then you say, okay, they're trying to take this player away. Now we can make life easier for everybody else and scheme different opportunities. It feels like, to use a baseball analogy, that Devontae Parker is a really good number two pitcher. He's, he's, a, he's a number two starter. And then you get Jacoby Myers, he's your number three guy. They just need a number. They do. They need a number one. And I know, look, I'm hesitant to compare things to Tom and that era because it was different. It's a different offense. They're different guys back there. But, you know, that time has passed and you need a number one. You need a guy. And, and I think that Parker, from time to time, has shown an ability to do that. But I think your point is very well taken and that it's a real physical job. You know, it, it's more yeah. of a physical position than I think maybe we give it credit for. So it's going to be interesting what they do at that position moving forward. I, I love the, the thing that really just popped for me this year. And I always go back to this, the best possible thing, they found Marcus Jones. If nothing mm-hmm. else happens this year, they found a guy who's a special guy, a playmaker on both sides of the ball. Tell me a little bit about Marcus Jones, what you see from him on film, and maybe what his ceiling is within the framework of this roster. It's really hard to tell because with someone like Marcus Jones, if he's going to be playing all the snaps, it's kind of hard to put that much on his plate where, you know, if you're going to have him going forward, be an every down player, I don't think you want to feature him on offense more than a few times a game. Gadget player, that's fine. You know, he's can make such incredible things happen as we saw in his first catch of his NFL career. You know, he's a dynamic playmaker, but you also got him returning punts. He's also a very talented slot corner who I think could be more of a matchup guy. He can play outside as long as you're not having cover him, having him cover T Higgins, you know, <laughs> someone he gives up over half of a foot to, um, but he's a very talented corner. So he's going to be in the mix, whether Jonathan Jones stays, whether he goes, I think Marcus Jones is that guy where he's going to be in the slot, but in certain matchups with maybe smaller receivers, you can bump him out as well and he'll still be able to thrive so I think ideally he's a returner for the first few years of his career maybe until he gets to that second contract where you're saying all right especially because he's an older player mm-hmm. so you gotta manage his reps to a certain degree and maybe like I said as a receiver a couple screens maybe you know a fake bubble and you give him a shot like easy opportunities where you get him in space and let him be dynamic but more I think in a game where you're saying, okay, we're going to need a big play that we maybe manufacture where it's not just a team where you feel like you can go out, execute your offense normally and have that be enough to comfortably win the game. Um, So I, I do think that he's still a cornerback. That is his main role. Punt returner obviously is fantastic. They probably won't take him away for that as long as they really can. But again, his age is one of those where you need to take into account how much damage he's taking. Um, But yeah, cornerback, punt returner for the first four or five plus years of his career until they can kind of get somebody to take that load off him and then sprinkle him in, in the weeks where you just need some magic. I love it. I love it. Uh, For me, he was the, he was the rookie of the year for for this team. Mm -hmm. And and it's funny. I go back and forth a little bit. I talked to LG a little bit about this. 
he had a real outside the box team MVP. I, I'm I think I'm still going with Stevenson. Uh, mm-hmm. He said Devont. He said not Devontae Parker, but Devin uh, Devin McCourty. He said Devin McCourty was his team MVP this year in terms of what he brought to the field, what he brought to the defense on a consistent basis. Be curious to get your take on who the MVP was for this team in 2022. Oh, that's tough. Um, I think if you go with consistency, it's hard not to say Mike Onwenu. I think that's a really tough one. Now, you know, you think about guys like Matt Judon, who is probably one of their best players on their entire team, but also had times where partially because of the game plan, he had a lot of coverage responsibilities, especially mm-hmm. in the second half of the season, I think need to be taken into consideration, saw more attention and all those things. But you also saw some times where his play would dip a little bit where it wasn't. I don't think I'm comfortable saying that he was the best player on the team by far. Whereas Mike and Wenu was getting the single matchup most weeks, regardless of who was going up against him. A lot of the protections were designed to help Cole Strange, understandably. And on Wenu was not someone that you very regularly looked to on the field and said, well, this guy is a reason that we're losing or that we're behind, which isn't something you can say about anybody other than maybe David Andrews, who also missed time. Um, so just in terms of being on the field, executing at a high level on a consistent basis while playing, you know, they face some pretty serious talent in the off in the uh, interior uh with the defensive lines they faced so I think it's hard not to say Mike and Wenu but there definitely were like Marcus Jones players who maybe didn't play as consistently but made such a huge impact that Kyle Duggar even you know he's someone who played more I'd say had more boomer bust moments which is understandable for his position but the fact that you have a defensive player who can score the way he does while also bringing that physical edge and all those different things. Frankly, I might put Duggar a little bit higher than Judon just because of all the depth they have on the defensive line and how much teamwork it takes to run those twists, those stunts, and actually generate pressure. So um, long-winded answer, but on the offensive side of the ball, I'd probably say on Wenu. Um, and then I'll just put the categories myself. And then defense, I think I'd uh, actually maybe give it to Kyle Duggar. You mentioned some really interesting names in there. I, I and you watch honestly, and people who are, you know are just listening to this for the first time, you watch more film than just about anyone out there. So I, I wanted to get your opinion on this. Who is the most underappreciated guy on this roster? Is it someone in that group that you just talked about, or is it someone else who we should be look? Not everyone's going to talk about. Everyone's going to talk Mac. Everyone's going to talk Stevenson. You know the the big names, the obvious names. I want someone who we aren't talking about on a regular basis, who week to week is there, gives a consistent effort, a really above average effort. Who Who's your guy? So there was someone that I usually got this question. I did five questions with Pat's pulpit, like behind the enemy lines thing where we spoke to another team. And I get this question every week. Like, who's a player that we're not hearing about? Most weeks, it was if it wasn't Devon Gacha, it was Juwan Bentley. Juwan plays so many snaps, is a player that is in the old school, like 260-pound mold that everyone says is extinct in this NFL and can't play. Meanwhile, he's not a liability in pass coverage. You know, if you, it's easy to say that with his profile, but you tell me the last time you saw Juwan Bentley give up a big play. Now, you know, every once in a while he'll be matched up against a really dynamic running back or receiver in space, but he at the very least slows them down. And with his role, that's what you want. You know, at the worst case scenario, slow the guy down so that we can rally and tackle. But what he does for their for their front, 
being able to play more zone in two high shells, which, you know, they're starting to play a little bit more every season. Now that the league is just getting so hard to defend the pass, you're really just trying to do all you can to keep plays in front of you. And in that system, Juwan Bentley, the amount of responsibility he has to take on blockers and make plays in the run game, his intelligence, you know, if you take Juwan, if Juwan Bentley had missed multiple games, there would have been several communication errors because he's the one who's running everything in that front, getting everybody in line, making the checks. It's Devin McCourty behind him. In that front, it's Juwan Bentley, who I think is also a very big extension candidate. Um, I just think he's fantastic. He's a he's a very good tackler. He's so smart. He knows his physical profile, his strengths and weaknesses, and uses that to his advantage in coverage. And really, it's just against the run. It's something that we don't talk about in this passing league, but what the Patriots do with their defensive tackles where it's a lot of two gapping and those guys in the box, even Kyle Duggar, you got a lot of responsibility. It's not like San Francisco or, you know, to a degree the Colts where they have great run defenses, but it's a lot of penetration and guys being aggressive and those athletic linebackers making people miss like, no, Juwan Bentley's taking guys on throwing them and making tackles and allowing new England to think coverage first rather than years past where we saw the run defense so bad that against even teams like Miami, they weren't able to play as much man coverage as they wanted because they had to stay in zone and keep eyes on the run game because they weren't able to stop it consistently and teams always had it in their back pocket. So, yeah, I, I got to go with Juwan Bentley, who I think for someone who started his career seeming like he was a bit of a stereotype as a run first guy, he's become a very well-rounded player. Also a pass rusher, let me also mention that, mm -hmm. taking on more of a role as a pass rusher every year, and he was effective in that area as well. So Juwan Bentley all the way for me. As we tape this on Thursday afternoon, there have already been reportedly at least several different individuals who have interviewed for the offensive or the offensive coordinator job in New England. Two-part question, who will get the job and who deserves the job? That is a very interesting question. Bill O'Brien probably gets the job. You got the Mac ties. He didn't coach him, but they overlapped in Mac's final season at Alabama. So there's that. Um, obviously, the experience with the Patriots. Like, I don't really think I need to explain why it makes sense. Like, everybody yeah, understands. Yeah. Everyone, everyone is... And look, and we're, we're all having the, the, the Bill O'Brien conversation. But maybe my larger, more pointed question here is that are we sleeping on Sean Jefferson or Keenan McCardell or, or Adrian Clem or someone like that who has the potential to be the next great offensive mind? At right. the expense of saying, well, let's just bring in Bill O'Brien because he knows Mac and he knows Bill and he knows the offense. Um, I would say Kevin McCordell, uh, McCordell and to be fair, I'm more Pat-centric, so hmm. I don't have a ton of knowledge about the other coach that they're interviewing. I don't want to start talking out of my neck. But I do know McCordell. One, he had a great career in the NFL, was part of one of the better receiving duos in history that people don't talk about. If you don't know about it, check out the football life. It is fantastic to plug my own network there. Um, but at the same time, he's been on some really fantastic staffs, mentored some great players was a big reason the Jaguars had so much success offensively with Blake Bortles in 2017 when they almost beat the Patriots weren't for a crazy play with Brady and Amendola on third and forever. Um, so I would say the fact that he hasn't, I, to my knowledge, he hasn't had an offensive coordinator role. Has he before in his career? So, no, no, I don't, I don't think, think so either. So with someone with NFL experience, very well respected as someone as, a, as a, a teacher and a mentor and as an offensive mind, I would say based on what I know about the coaching pool, he's someone who I think, I, and I'm very much hoping, you know, not to get too political or anything, but I'm hoping he, and I don't think he is someone to satisfy the Rooney rule, mm -hmm. which I not a huge fan of, frankly, I find it a bit condescending. Um, but I also know that Belichick won. I don't think that that's the kind of 
person he is. You know, Jim Brown speaks to all the work he's exactly. done in the black yeah. community. Yeah. I don't think Belichick is going to waste someone that he knows time if he thinks there's not a real chance he gets the job. So I would, yeah, I'd, I'd go McCardell or McCardell, uh, pronounce it, apologies, um, for someone who deserves that coaching spot. It's going to be interesting regardless of what happens because I, I think we're – it's going to be a one, it's a one year reset fundamentally. I mean, after, you know, you, we, we talked about this off the top with Patricia where it goes, okay, well, look, this is not going to work. You know, it was an outside the box approach with Patricia. It didn't work. And now they're kind of hitting the reset button. I don't think they're going to fire Patricia. I think they're going to reassign him. I, I don't think that bill yeah, really bill traditionally does not fire people. So we're seeing, I think you're going to see a coaching staff that just kind of shuffles up a little bit. You know, mm-hmm. we're, yeah. you're, you're not going to see anyone necessarily get fired, but you're going to see Patricia maybe go to, maybe he's going to become the offensive line coach, or maybe he's going to, you know, switch back to the defensive side of the ball, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. Look, I, I just think it's going to be really interesting moving forward. Um, the the Mac Jones stuff, and, and I want to kind of get your, I want to get your opinion on this. Give me one reason for optimism and one reason for pessimism when it comes to Mac Jones's overall development. I think it's hard not to be encouraged by how much his teammates seem to go to bat for him, seem to genuinely love him and see him as their leader. You know, for a second-year player, and especially Mac was very vocal, and I know you can be in either camp where you see it as a bad thing because, oh, you're this young guy, you know, what have you earned to be talking to a coach like that? And then the other side of, well, frankly, he's doing his best, and he is. He, there's a lot on his shoulders as a leader of this franchise in a lot of ways. And sometimes you get pissed off when you're the person who's on the field and you're trying to make all these plays and you feel like you're being hindered. Um, so I would say the general feeling around the team is great. Beyond that, obviously, you know, the feelings don't really matter when you get to the football field. And in that sense, I do think you saw him make a lot of progress. Now, obviously, early in the year, the turnovers were bad. It was poor decision-making. Throws that you wouldn't want him to make as a rookie, much less a second-year player who you thought took a step forward. Once they cut down on all the spread, downfield passing game, and got more to their roots, you saw him cut way down on the turnover-worthy plays, which is, I think, the biggest thing you just want to see from your franchise quarterback is protect the football. and then. You take the next step and it's okay. Can you actually make plays outside of structure? Mac was one of the most elusive quarterbacks in football last year. I know that sounds weird, but in terms of pressure getting there and him getting out of it and at least getting himself in position to still keep the play alive and make throws. No, he's not a dynamic passer. who's going to be Josh Allen and throw it 50 yards downfield, but he can at least keep the play alive and give receivers an, uh, an opportunity to scramble find some space, things like that. That was a huge area of improvement, I thought, for him from last year to this year. And then the decision-making overall kind of, once again, going back to that, I think you saw him processing things faster. It was tough mm-hmm. because, I again, this, we talk about spacing and all the design. I don't think it was easy on him all the time. And I think that the times where you saw him hold the ball or maybe not confident, I'd like to see what that looks like next year where he's in a system he's more comfortable with, with a better leader who can give him you know, that vision to see the field a little bit better which I thought that, again, towards the tail end of the season, he improved significantly once things got back to their roots. Um, so I think Mac weathered the storm as well as he could have, and there were a lot of positive signs. Honestly, I don't want to say throw out all the bad because that wouldn't be fair either, but I'd say take the good and hope that another offensive coach can extrapolate that and really put him in positions where he can do those things consistently. All right, give me your picks for a uh, divisional weekend. Bills, Bengals. Let's start with the okay. AFC. Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, Jags. Let's see. Bills, Bengals, Chiefs, Jags. I'm going to go Joe Burrow. He just has that 
Tom Brady element of he is so calm, cool, collected, does the right thing so consistently. It's hard to bet against him. And if this were maybe last year's playoff Josh Allen, I'd give him the edge because of that physical skill set. But from what we've seen recently, you can kind of expect Josh to turn it over at least once, maybe twice. And I don't think Burrow is necessarily going to make those same mistakes. And just the depth that Burrow has a receiver. Gabriel Davis is one of those guys where he can take over a game in certain respects. But if he also has one catch, you're not necessarily going to be surprised. So <laughs> I think I'm going to give the edge to the uh, to the Bengals there. Chiefs-Jags. Chiefs-Jags, got to go Mahomes. I love Trevor Lawrence. I think that's going to be a tighter game than people might expect. More running than people might expect as well. Pacheco and Travis Etienne have been really good lately. Um, but yeah, I got to give that one to Patty Mahomes. <laughs> Well, that, that's going to be the goal, isn't it, for, for Jacksonville is to keep Mahomes off the field. And so if you're Jack, if you're Jacksonville, you want to string together eight, nine, ten play drives and kind of slow the game down. I don't know how successful they're going to be, but that would strike me as the game plan going into this one. Yeah, and the crazy part is it might be a long game even if the Chiefs don't lean on the pass because they're not, you know, chucking the ball downfield a bunch either. You know, they're more of a methodical passing attack as well now. So I think that's going to be one where we see the game end sooner than people might expect because that play clock is just going to keep going for most of the game. All right, NFC, Giants-Eagles. Got to go Eagles. I really like what Brian Dayball's done. I think the Giants, obviously they've blown away expectations and I, I do think they'll keep it competitive but that Eagles team they and the 49ers I think the most well-built teams in football so and when you got also coaching that doesn't have to be out of this world they're complimenting their players clearly and putting them in positions to succeed so um, as great as Dexter Lawrence has been Saquon's been Daniel Jones cutting over on the turnovers all those great things it's hard to see the Eagles losing this one I think there's some parallel universe out there where the Patriots get the timing right and Brian Dable is their offensive coordinator as opposed to losing Josh McDaniels. And I, I just, it, they could never make it work because he was such a great assistant in New England for such a long time that of course he had to go somewhere and get a bigger job and yeah. get a job with more responsibility. It just happened to be New York, but I, I would have loved to have seen Brian Dable again, if they could have got the timing right as the offensive coordinator in New England, but Hey, that's again, like I said, a parallel universe. Okay. Cowboys Niners. Niners. Again, such a well-built team. I think Purdy's doing some good things, but he reminds me of Zappy with better improvisational ability. You know, where he's putting up good numbers, and it's like, oh my God, you got something here. But if you watch the tape, it's okay. This wide-open throw wasn't very accurate. You know, this deep pass forced the receiver to make a tougher adjustment than he needed to. Just like kind of little things where if you're being nitpicky, you can see that, you know, this supporting cast is doing a lot of work. Nothing against Purdy. No one expected him to play. Um, and the defense, obviously, is fantastic. So, so, got, so good for the 49ers. You got a Super Bowl pick, or you want to kind of keep that in reserve for now? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll get bold. I think it's going to be another Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. All right. A Chiefs 49ers Super Bowl. And I, I like think that I think Mahomes Purdy, you know, I think it's more Mahomes versus the 49ers supporting cast. Yeah, yeah. But I think even in that one, you got to give the edge to Mahomes. And you're, you know, I'm assuming. Like most right-thinking Americans, Patrick Mahomes is your MVP right now. Oh, yeah. If yeah. it's not Travis Kelsey, if, if, if you're yeah. going to get a sneaky pick, the guy who's throwing all the passes to, if he catches three touchdowns, it's going to be kind of hard. You know what yeah. I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Taylor, thank you so much for doing this, man. Let people know where they can read you and how they can follow you on social media. 
Thank you, brother. Honor and a privilege, obviously. Um, you can find me on Twitter at tkyles39. Um, and then I'm also at SB Nation's uh, Pat's Pulpit Patriots website. So uh, I do some writing on there as well uh, with our editor, Byrne, who's fantastic. So you can find my work there as well. Sounds good. Take care, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. Yes, please. Thank you. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. One more reminder. This episode has been brought to you by Bet Bet BetOnline remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season, everything from NFL and bowl season to eSports. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline. BetOnline features live betting, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. We're the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite leagues and events. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code Believe. that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.